Luke chapter 6. We're going to be reading in, starting in verse uh, 37, but we'll read it as, as we go this morning. Luke chapter 6. Well, are you a problem solver? Do you enjoy when you run into something that you have to figure out? Something is broken, or, or maybe you just don't know how it works, and you have, to, you have to figure out how it works. Do you enjoy that? We were over at uh, the Mueller's house this week, uh, new members of our church, and uh, I went to use their faucet. Faucets, I thought, were really simple. This one was not. It was a special faucet. I went, I turned the, the knob, you know, you just turn the knob, and nothing happened. And the first thought that crossed my mind was like, did I somehow mess up their water to where we've like lost pressure? Like, did I like just, do we have to like do something major here? Did I just do that? No. It was just a simple fix, but I didn't know how to fix it. They had a sensor on it. And if you just like touch your hand to the sensor, the, the water starts. Uh, so I, I figured it out uh, with help from them because I was not going to figure it out. I saw the sensor and I wondered at the sensor. I thought, what is the sensor? But they, they, they had to explain it to me. So are you a problem solver? Do you want to figure out problems? Well, some people will call our passage a problem passage. They would say it's a problem passage, like quotes problem. Because Jesus seems to say something here that appears to contradict something else in God's Word. One thing he said here, and the opposite that he would appear to say somewhere else. Well, that would be a problem if he was saying the opposite. So we need to work through it. We need to work through this. Now, maybe you already know it, or maybe you're wondering, what's the problem? Well, as we dig into the Scripture, we're going to see the first two words. Judge not. Judge not. So here's the problem. Other places in the Bible tell us to judge or, or, or speak approvingly of judging. In fact, in the very next chapter of Luke, Luke chapter 7, Jesus says these words to a Pharisee. You have judged rightly. How can that be? How can he say in one place, judge not, but then in another place, say, you've judged rightly. How can he do that? So we have two questions that we're going to address this morning. Two questions that we will address. Question number one, what does it mean to judge? And then question number two is going to be, how do we do that well? So we're going to be in verse 37, and let me pray before we begin reading. Father God, we pray that you would be our help this morning. We pray as we open your word, as we read it, and as we then hear it preached, we pray uh, that you would, by your Spirit, be working in our hearts, that you would be taking those of us who have trusted in Christ and making us more and more like him, and we pray that by your Spirit, as your word is preached, that you would save sinners who do not know your Son. We pray that you would do that work this morning, in Christ's name, amen. So Luke 6, and we're going to begin reading in verse... 37. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. So four commands here. Two positive, two negative. The negative commandments, don't judge, don't condemn. The positive commandments, forgive and give. 
Now, all of these are important. All four commandments, they're important. But the first is most relevant to us this morning for like three reasons. Reason number one, this first commandment, judge not, informs the rest of the passage. We're going to go all the way through verse 45. And Jesus is going to give these different illustrations, these different examples of how this works out. And and each illustration really hinges on understanding what it means not to judge. So that's the first reason that that command is really important. Second reason is it's probably the most well-known of the four commandments. Like people who, who don't even know Jesus love to quote the words of Jesus, dude, don't judge me. Don't judge. Jesus said it. And so number three, it's also often the most misunderstood. This verse can be treated as the, the shutdown verse. <clears throat> it's the trump card. I don't like what you're saying to me. I, I don't think you know me. How dare you say that? How dare you judge me? Jesus said, don't judge There you have it. Jesus said it, so you can't do it. So we need to unpack this verse some. It's true that Jesus says, judge not, in verse 37. But what does he mean by that? What does it mean to judge? Well, at its just most basic level, to judge is to evaluate. It's to evaluate something. We do it all the time. Men, how many times have your wives asked you on the way home from work to pick something up from the store for her? My wife still asks me, and I don't know why. Because I can't do it. Like, every time that she asks me to pick something up for her, I get the wrong thing. It's always like, oh, that wasn't the right brand, or that wasn't exactly the right kind. She asked me to get bananas, and she says, get some that aren't too ripe. And I'm thinking, okay, that's not too hard. And then I get there, and there's just a million bananas to choose from, and I have no idea what too ripe means. And of course, I come home, and I made the wrong judgment call. She's like, no, those are, those are ripe. Those are really ripe. And I, thought, I thought yellow was good. No, yellow is not good. You want green bananas. So that's a judgment call. Did I, did I, did I make the right judgment call? Should I have picked those bananas or those bananas? Clearly, I should have picked those. I, I call her all the time from the store. Please, help me. Should I get this or this? Like multiple phone calls from like three items. Please help me. Um, she gets exasperated. Why are you calling? I just want to get it right. So we make judgment calls. Now, that's in the general neutral sense of a judgment call. That's not what Jesus has in mind. He's not talking about picking ripe bananas or not ripe bananas. Jesus is talking about moral judgments. Jesus is talking about distinguishing between righteous living and unrighteous living. Between what's pleasing to God and what is not pleasing to God. And I'm using my hands. You're not not like the righteous people and the unrighteous. But, But Jesus is making these distinctions here. The sheep and the goats. He's talking about the difference between sinful living and righteous living. And too often... We assume that if Jesus says not to judge, we assume that Jesus is saying you can't make any moral evaluation of any sort at any time at all. We think he's saying it is wrong to do that. But he's not. Jesus is not saying that it is wrong to make moral judgments. He's not saying that it is wrong to call sin, sin. He's saying... That the way we do it matters. Jesus is saying the spirit with which we call out sin matters. Jesus is saying the way that we call sin, sin, it matters. Our heart attitude matters 
to God. If we want to understand what Jesus means by judge not, we need to look then at the commands that follow. So the first command is judge not. Look at the very next commandment. It's really a parallel commandment in verse 37. It's also given in the negative. Condemn not. Don't judge. Don't condemn. And when understood in that context of, of being one who is, who is condemning, we see that Jesus is addressing an attitude that we see over and over again in his opponents in the Gospels. It's an overly critical spirit. It's being someone who builds themselves up rather than and at the expense of, of tearing others down. Don't be someone who weighs others down with their sin, who just beats people up by reminding them of their sin. Don't be someone who has a condemning spirit. Don't be someone who is self-righteous. Who did Jesus go after all the time? Pharisees. He had no patience for the Pharisees. They were self-righteous. They thought that they were better than everybody else. And they made themselves look better by criticizing others as worse. That's the kind of judgment that Jesus opposes. Instead, be forgiving towards others. Be generous in how you treat others. Even going back to verse 36 of the last passage in in this book. Be merciful as your Father is merciful. So instead of having a self-righteous, haughty attitude when you, where, you, where you look down on others, Jesus is saying, no, be compassionate toward them even as you help them see sin in their life. Or even as you refuse to condone the way the world operates. Even as you call sin, sin. You see, Jesus clearly draws a line between, again, I'll go here, what is righteous and what is unrighteous. What is pleasing to God and and what is not pleasing to God. Jesus is not okay with sin. And he doesn't say that we should be okay with sin either. And so when we call sin, sin, we are recognizing right from wrong. We're, we're, We're judging. And that's a good thing when it's done well. That's part of what it means to be a city on the hill. It's part of what it means to be a lamp that isn't hidden under a basket. That's part of what it means to be in the world, but not of the world. You see, judging isn't the problem. It's the attitude that we do it with. Don't be a person who judges with this critical, self-righteous spirit. Because here's the thing. There's a promise that's attached to each of these four commandments. Each commandment ties back to a really important promise. Read the last half of verse 38 with me. Good measure... Pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So there's the promise. In general terms, God treats us as we treat others. If you judge others, you should expect to be judged. If you condemn others, you should expect to be condemned. And then on the reverse... If you forgive others, you should expect to be forgiven. If you give to others, you should expect God to be giving or generous towards you. God treats us as we treat others. Simple principle. Jesus uses an illustration to drive it home. And he talks about how grain would have been sold in his day. And the way that that grain was measured out by the seller. So they would take a cup or a little container. And they would fill it about three quarters of the way full. 
And then they would shake it in like a circular motion like this to, to help the grain to settle. And then they would fill that cup until it was full, like full to the line. Makes me think of when I'm putting formula in our kid's bottle. You've got to get it full, right to the line. You get it full to the line. And then they wouldn't stop there. They would, they would shake it again. And they would they'd do this circular motion again, get the grain to settle. Then they would press it down. So they put it on the ground, and they would press it down with both hands to get it as, as compact as possible. Then they would fill it a third time until it was like a heaping mound. So the grain would have just been running off the sides. And they would even at times, and I don't, I don't get how this works, but they would like bore a small hole in it so that a little bit more grain could get in. I mean, this was a generous seller. They were using some really generous measures for how they were giving that grain. Now, a more stingy seller maybe wouldn't operate that way. Maybe they wouldn't fill it three times. Maybe they wouldn't fill it till it was heaping. Maybe they wouldn't do the step where they pressed it down. And maybe they would, they would fail to do that without the other person seeing. They would, like, hide it. And they would be like, I'm not going to press that down. You know, it's, so, so there was ways in which you could still be a, a stingy seller. And Jesus is using this illustration to say that how we treat others, God will treat us. If we treat others poorly, we should expect to be treated poorly ourselves. If we treat others well, we should expect to be treated well ourselves. If we have a self-righteous, overly critical spirit, we should expect to receive from God the condemnation that we heap on others. If we have a forgiving, generous spirit, we should expect to receive from God the blessing that we show towards others. Now, it's going to look different for the believer and the unbeliever. There's a sense in which punishment comes to the unbeliever and discipline to the believer. But the principle still holds true. So we've answered question number one. What does it mean to judge? We see that we can and we should make moral evaluations. Moral evaluations, they're made all the time in the Bible, and they're expected of us as believers. Two examples. Isaiah 5.20 Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Amos 5.14 Seek good and not evil that you may live. What's implied? That we make moral judgments. That we distinguish between what is right and what is wrong. Otherwise, we're just relativists. We're just willy-nilly, everything flies, it's okay, it doesn't matter. And Jesus is not telling us that that's how we're to live. He's telling us that when we do make moral evaluations, that we do it the right way. That we don't do it with overly critical spirits. That we don't do it with self-righteous attitudes. So now the second question. If we should judge, how do we do it well? So what does it mean to judge, and now how do we do it well? If God wants us to not be critical, but he wants us to be compassionate... How do we go about doing this? And here's the answer that Jesus gives. Examine yourself first. If you want to judge well, if you want to make moral evaluations well, if you want to confront sin well, then you need to examine yourself first. Begin reading with me in verse 39. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? 
How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck that is in your, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. So the best way to address sin in somebody else's life is to address it in your own life first. When we see our own sin, that, that, that will humble us. And then in, in humility, we can spot sin in someone else's life. And we can help them to remove it. And help is really key. Not just like force feed it, not be, a, not be cruel about it, not be harsh about it, but help them to see it in their life. Because if, if we don't address it in our life first, how can we really be a help to anyone else? And so in these verses, Jesus illustrates this point in a few different ways. First with the parable of two blind men. A blind man can't lead another blind man. They're both going to suffer if the one tries to lead the other. Point being, if I'm not dealing with my own sin, how can I help someone else deal with theirs? Similar principle. The teacher-disciple or teacher-student relationship. However much the teacher knew the student would come to know as much as well. They would adopt the the teachings, the beliefs of their teacher. They would basically learn as much as their teacher. Point being, I can only help someone else as much as I myself have been helped or as much as I have worked on sin in my own life. And then finally, the illustration that's maybe most well-known of removing the log from your eye. Take the log out of your eye and then help the brother with his speck. So the point Jesus makes time and again, I can only help others with their sin in their lives to the degree that I'm working on sin in my own life. If I have a log in my eye, how can I help someone out? First of all, I don't think I can see very well with a log protruding from my eye. That's going to be hard. But second, isn't the log a little bit more urgent than the speck? And this is like a classic scary ER story. We have some nurses in our church. Like, can you imagine somebody coming with a log in their eye to the ER? That would be a problem. In fact, this is so extreme. Like, how would that even work? If you have a log, it's like your whole head. I mean, it's just, that doesn't work. But it's, it's, it's clear that, like, we got to deal with the log first. Like, this is, I think it's triage. Am I getting that right? Triage? Like, like you got to deal with the person with the log before you deal with the person with the speck. So we got to deal with our sin first then we help someone deal with the sin in their life. This is a super important point. Because Jesus is helping us see it's appropriate to judge. It's appropriate to make moral evaluations. Did you hear how he finished that illustration? He didn't say this. Take the log out of your eye. Just worry about your log. He didn't say, you do your log, let your brother do his speck. Jesus brings those two realities together. Listen to verse 42 again. You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. You see, we are supposed to help our brothers and sisters in Christ when we see sin in their lives. So so judge not is not a blanket statement. It doesn't mean that we are never to make a judgment call. Jesus is telling us that we have to be really careful about how we do it. And to do it the right way, we need to start with ourselves. And starting with ourselves leads us on the road to humility. A person who who sees the log in their own eye and deals with it 
before helping out the other person with their speck, Jesus says in this next illustration that that person is like a good tree or a healthy tree that has good fruit. But the person who doesn't see the log in their own eye and just goes after that speck, Jesus says that person is like a bad tree or an unhealthy tree that produces bad fruit. Read with me verses 43 to 45. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So what kind of a tree are you? What kind of a tree are you? Are you producing good fruit or are you producing bad fruit? Do you, do you examine yourself first and so in humility and love for others, help them deal with their sin? Or do you examine everyone else first and never yourself? And so in pride and self-righteousness, you, you point out everyone else's sin. What kind of fruit are you producing? Because that says a lot about what kind of tree you are. And what Jesus is saying is don't fool yourself by thinking that you're a healthy tree when all that you ever do is produce rotten fruit. So there's a real warning here. What kind of fruit are you producing? What's coming out of your mouth? If you're constantly coming down on others and and calling others out without any kind of compassion or grace, then you need to evaluate your heart. What's your spiritual condition? And maybe you need to think through it on a few different levels. Maybe you need to ask yourself a few different questions. Why do I act this way? Why do I treat people this way? Is it because I'm minimizing my own sin? Is it because I actually love my sin and and I want to indulge in it? Is it because maybe I'm actually not a Christian at all? Now, Jesus isn't saying that a critical spirit is this telltale sign that you're not a Christian. But a Christian shouldn't be defined by a critical spirit, as we shouldn't be defined or or have a life patterned after any kind of sin. So do some evaluating. Look at the fruit in your life and consider how you need to grow. Look at the fruit in your life to evaluate your own spiritual health. Okay, I I want to get real practical now. With the time that we have remaining, you may be thinking, he's gone through the whole passage, and it's not even 11.15. We really are going to get out of here super early compared to Steve. Hold your horses. Because I want to get real practical. I want to take some time to do some examination of ourselves. And I don't mean that like turn to a buddy and ask them, can you tell me what kind of fruit I'm producing? No, I'm just saying let's think through some ways that we might struggle to judge well. Some ways that we might struggle to judge rightly. Let's think through some possible heart attitudes that we need to work on. Some different mindsets that we might have that run counter to what Jesus is saying here in Luke 6. So four different possible mindsets. Here's the first one. The mindset of nobody can speak into my life. Nobody can speak into my life. In our world today, there's this, this don't judge me movement. Who are you to speak into my life? Who are you to think that you know me? You worry about you, I'll worry about me. And Jesus is telling us that's the wrong way to think. Don't think like that. That's not God's desire. That's not God's intention 
for how relationships should work. So maybe that's a mindset that you have. And Jesus is saying to change it. And as hard as that might be, we do need each other. We really do. We need to let other trusted believers into our lives to walk with us, to help guide us, and even to rebuke us when we need to hear it. Because it's good for us. God says that it produces growth in us when that rebuke is done well, when it's given because we love the other person and we want to see Christ formed in the other person. So you might be sitting here thinking, I don't buy that. I don't, I don't think that's true. I, I don't like that thought. And so maybe you need just a little bit more encouragement. Read the whole book of Galatians. Like the whole book of Galatians is a loving rebuke from Paul to the Galatian church. Paul speaks the truth to the Galatians. They need to hear what Paul has to say. As much as it might hurt to hear their sin exposed, they needed to hear the truth. They needed to hear things like this. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. They needed to hear things like this. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? But Paul also clearly demonstrated his love for them. And so they needed to hear things like this as well. My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now. We need people like Paul in our lives. People who know us well. People who love us well enough to spot sin in our lives. And then people who help us to remove that sin. Now I'm sure that that many of us can think of times when others confronted us with our sin and it did not go well. And they hurt us. And I don't mean that it just hurt when our sin was exposed, because that does hurt. It's never pleasant. As much as somebody may come to me and lovingly point out my sin, I never will, will enjoy that. But that's not what we're talking about. I'm saying that this person really, they went after you. This, this was harsh. They treated you poorly. It's happened to many of us, I'm sure. And we maybe have been those people too. More often than not, that's probably the case. I have hurt people. As I sought to to point out sin in their life, I didn't always come at it with the right heart attitude. And in the process, I sinned against them. But we need this reminder. Whether you've been on the giving end or, or on the receiving end of harsh confrontation, that doesn't mean that we can exclude ourselves from Christian community. It's not a reason that we can give to to then just keep others at arm's length. We need other believers who can point out sin in our lives in a way that builds us up. Now, those kind of relationships, they take time. They involve trust being built. But we need to be taking steps in that direction. So what's the next step for you? What does it look like for you to get to know someone else in the church well enough to be able to speak into their life and to be spoken into as well? Maybe you're a new member. or Maybe you're, you're a new attender. Don't think I'm saying like you need to take a deep dive like right after the service with the person sitting next to you that you've never met before. That would be weird. Nobody wants that. But, 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 but get to know people. 
do things with other people in the church outside of the Sunday morning conversations. Take advantage of opportunities when they're presented to be around people at First Baptist outside of the Sunday morning services. So we need to be a people that are moving in that direction. That might not be the way that you naturally think, but we need to start thinking that way. We need to seek out other people and we need to open ourselves up to them. But maybe you don't have that mindset. Maybe you have a different one. Maybe you aren't putting up a wall and saying, nobody can speak into my life. Maybe you're saying something like this, I can't speak into anybody else's life. So you're not saying, nobody can speak into my life, you're just saying, I can't speak into anybody else's. You're saying things like, I, I, I can't say anything to anybody about sin in their life because, because who am I? I, I'm not perfect. I, I have sinned. Who am I to point out sin in someone else's life? And so we will shy away from confronting or, or from dealing with sin in the lives of other believers because we recognize, and we, we rightly recognize, that we see sin in our lives as well. Well, we need to be careful about that attitude. There is a place for seeing sin in our lives and being slow to point it out in others. But don't let sin that you see in your life, sin that you are seriously fighting against, sin that you are dealing with, don't let that stop you from helping somebody else. Because if Jesus was saying that only perfect people could point out sin, then none of us would qualify. And this whole taking the speck out of your brother's eye, that would be pointless. Like, why would God have that in the Bible? But he did. God put this passage in the Bible and lots of other passages about confronting others over their sin and rebuking others and challenging others to fight against sin because it is a needed part of Christian community. So don't ignore and don't neglect what God has called us to do. So yes, examine yourself first. Deal with your sin first. Make it a habit to examine yourself. But then, help others. Help others. Don't get paralyzed because you see your sin. You see it? Good. You're fighting against it? Good. Now go help somebody else as they seek to fight against their sin. So two possible mindsets. Nobody can judge me. I can't judge anybody else. Here's a third one. Maybe this is you. I don't want to judge anyone else. And that's the mindset that if we're honest with ourselves, we realize I just don't really care. I just don't really care. I don't really care about the other person as deeply as I should. I'm, I'm not like Paul. I'm not all that excited about seeing Christ formed in that other person. You see the sin in your life, in their life. You know the person well. You, you absolutely have the relational capital to say something. And you know that you should, but you don't. Because it doesn't matter enough to you. You just don't care enough to say something. It's just easier not to, and so you don't. Well, here's a fourth mindset as well. Maybe you have this mindset. It's the mindset of, I love to judge everybody else. I love to judge everybody else. And as you're hearing this passage preached, the Lord is convicting you. And you're realizing, I do have this overly critical spirit that Jesus is is condemning. And you're realizing it. You are quick to point out sin in others, but you're slow to see it in yourself. And not just that, but you kind of enjoy it. 
You like building yourself up and tearing others down. It makes you feel good about yourself. And you realize, that's me. I'm self-righteous. And I don't want to be. Or maybe, after hearing all four of these mindsets, you're like me. And you're thinking, I kind of see all of them at different times with different people. Sometimes, this is the mindset I have with this person, but, but with this person, I have this mindset. Well, what do we do about it? How does God help us to overcome any of these wrong mindsets? Here's a few simple ways that flow from the gospel. If you are someone who downplays sin, whether in yourself or in others, you are slow to spot it, you are slow to confront it, you're slow to help others or to allow others to help you, if this is you, remember this. Remember the price that Jesus paid for our sins. Remember the price that Jesus paid for our sins. Jesus didn't make light of sin. He didn't, he didn't downplay the seriousness of sin. Sin was costly. He paid the price with his life. He gave his life for your sins. He gave his life for the sins of your brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we need to care enough. We need to care about sin as God does. Which means that we open ourselves up. And it means that we, we seek to invest in others. Now, if you, if you swing the other direction, and instead of playing down sin, you play up sin. And you are quick to point it out. You are eager to criticize others and to put them in their place. Remember this. Remember the great mercy that God showed you. You were unworthy. You were undeserving of His sin. You were entirely deserving of His wrath. But in Christ... God poured out his mercy on you and his wrath on his son. Just as we saw in Luke 6, be merciful even as your father is merciful, who is merciful to you. So a couple ways to fight against these mindsets. Whichever mindsets are true of you, and these ways to fight against them, they flow from the gospel. Remember the good news that Jesus died for our sins and he rose again. Let that fuel the way that you live. Let that fuel the way that you treat others. Let that fuel the way that you live in Christian community. Now perhaps this morning, you've never believed the truth of the gospel. Perhaps this morning, you have never put your trust in Christ. Can I encourage you to do the same exact thing that I've been encouraging our church family to do? Examine yourself. And see where you lack. Examine yourself and see your sin and see where you fail to measure up to God and his standards. And then, in humility, come to Christ. Come to Christ this morning. There is no one in this church who measures up, but Christ measured up for us. He met God's standards for us, He paid the price for our sins. So trust in him today. Trust in him and find life and lasting peace and contentment with God. And if you have questions about what it means to be a Christian, let's talk. I would love to talk. Steve would love to talk. Our other elders, Dale and Craig, would love to talk. The person that you came to church with who loves Jesus and is pursuing him, talk to that person today. There's nothing more pressing in your life 
than believing the message of the gospel and then living a life that is worthy of the gospel. So if you have questions, you want to know more about Christ, it's a conversation that many people here would love to have with you. And if you have trusted in Christ and you're seeking to live a life that is worthy of the gospel, work hard this week to judge rightly, to examine yourself first, and then to open yourself up to other believers and to invest yourself in those believers as well. So let's do the hard but good work of the Christian life together by God's grace and for his glory until the righteous judge comes again for his bride. A bride who was entirely unrighteous. A bride who in and of herself could do nothing to make herself righteous, but has been made righteous through the finished work of Christ on the cross. He took the judgment that we deserved. He took that judgment for us. So let's seek to live lives that are worthy of him. Let's pray together. Father God, we do thank you for your Son. And we do thank you that he indeed did take the punishment that we deserved, the judgment that we deserved, the condemnation that we deserved. He took all of that on the cross for our sins. So we pray this week that you would help us, that we would see our sin clearly, that we would see the the sinfulness of sin, the evil of sin, the great great cost that, that... Jesus paid for our sin. And we also pray that you would help us to see the mercy that you have shown to us. That your son willingly went to the cross for our sins in order that we could be made right with you. We were undeserving. We were worthy of the death that he died. And yet he took our place. So help us, however we may need to apply the truth of the gospel when we think about confronting sin or calling sin, sin. Help us to apply that that truth of the gospel so that we are are both gracious and compassionate, but also truth tellers and, and not afraid to speak the truth. Help us to that end, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.